the the Oklahoma City Thunder are controlling pick 12 in the 2023 NBA draft. What should they look for at that spot? Are there any value picks in the second round? We're going to be joined by Raphael Barlow to talk all about it on today's Locked On Thunder podcast. You are Locked On Thunder, your daily Oklahoma City Thunder podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's get it going on the Locked On Thunder podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, media member, and editor-in-chief over at thunderousintentions.com, Ryland Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. Follow the show on Twitter at LOThunderPod. Email the show, LOThunderPod at gmail.com. On today's show, brought to you by PrizePix. Go to prizepix.com or the app and use the code LOCKEDON. Get a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. We're going to be joined by draft expert Raphael Barlow, host of Locked In NBA Big Board, to discuss the NBA draft and what the Thunder should do with pick 12, 37 pick 50 we're going to talk all about that today Raphael, how are you doing today thanks for joining us i'm doing good today man how, how are you lynn first of all thanks for having me on i'm doing really good and, and i want to start with just a quick little overview of of your kind of day-to-day whenever you're scouting a player what 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 is that process like for you i mean it just depends on what time of year it is right now I mean, I think I've pretty much done my homework on all these guys. And so when I do watch film at, at this point, it's more so just looking at what the guy does well. I think if I continue to watch, you start picking guys apart. So um, I usually start off right after the draft. So for the, for this 2023 class, I started probably about August 2022. I'm watching their film. I'm taking notes. And then I may watch a second round of film during the season and just to see what's different between whether it's high school or grassroots film and college film or the previous year in college. And then this third round is just more so focusing on all right, what does this guy do well? If he hits and is a success, it's because of this. And so right now it's like I said, it's just more so focusing on the player's strengths as opposed to their, their weaknesses. I did that the first two rounds of watching. So I'm glad that you mentioned that because you had a tweet this weekend about a guy you were watching in the grassroots area, Leonard Miller, uh, who you saw kind of do some other things that he, that he could show at G League Ignite. And he's a popular name at pick number 12. What is your viewpoint on Leonard Miller, uh, G League Ignite? Well, first of all, I watched Leonard at the Combine last year. And, and I don't think like his, his agents or his camp would mind me saying this. He was the absolute worst person at the combine last year. He looked like a, a deer in the headlights, a fish out of water, whatever way you can describe it. But he did show some flashes here and there of just being able to make different reads. And I mean, he's, he's massive. He's 6'11". And so it, it was, he did have an intriguing skill set with his size and his passing and, and he's comfortable handling the ball. And then he just made a really big jump this year playing for the Ignite. It's not the role that I thought he would play. Um, you didn't really get a chance to see much of him as like this point forward. He showed flashes here and there. But he, I mean, really excelled in his role as a, a big a big man finisher around the rim and rebounder. 
And he had a tremendous march where he averaged like 17 points, 13 rebounds. Um, I want to say it was like two assists, a steal in the block. And he was shooting 64% from the floor, 58% from three, 90% from the foul line. And I just happened to be at the game where he had 20 points and 20 rebounds. So I think if you put all that together with what he showed with the Ignite and on top of the, the flashes of ball handling and passing at his size, then I think you could have a pretty – uh, a pretty intriguing prospect for for a Thunder at number 12. Yeah, I am all in on Leonard Miller. I just love what he was able to do in the G League this season. And then, as you mentioned, you know, kind of his previous basketball life before the G League, uh, he showed some different things that I think the Thunder can really extract from him at the NBA level. Uh, besides Leonard Miller, are there any other names that jump out to you if the Thunder were to stay at pick 12 that you could see them kind of fitting seamlessly in Oklahoma City? There's a few names. One name is Bilal Koulibaly and, and has recently made a big name for himself playing with Victor Wimbayama, playing for the Metropolitans, 92, Paris. And so I have a, a funny Bilal story. It was last January. So it was January 2022. I was in Paris and they have like the it's called the S-Bars League. It's like the under 21 league. And it's, it's, it's basically JV and varsity. So the JV games are like five o'clock. And then the senior team is probably like at eight and nine o'clock. And so I went to the game and, uh, and at this time, Victor wasn't playing for the Metropolitans. He was playing for, As for Asville. So it was a game between the Metropolitans 92 and Paris basket. And I was there to watch um, Ishmael Kamagate, who was drafted last year. So anyway, long story short, I'm watching this game and it's like a high school game. It was the average, I mean, the kids are like 19 at the most. I mean, maybe 21 at the most, but there's some 16-year-olds, whatever. So I see this kid, Bilal. He's long. He's fluid. And he made a couple wild plays. It's not like he had like a big dominant game, but he just made a couple plays that you're like, okay, guys at this size don't move like that. And I'm sitting with Mike Schmitz, who's now the assistant GM of the Blazers, but he's very well known for working at Draft Express ESPN. And we're like online trying to, figure out who is he because it's not like they had a roster and we end up finding his name and we talk about him briefly and it was more so like this is a name to watch out for maybe 24 at the earliest but you know maybe he's two years away fast forward he makes the French under 18 national team doesn't put up big numbers only about seven points per game but he shows some growth and improvement fast forward again um, September, I went to watch Victor play. I, I'm not going to sit here and say that I went to Paris to watch Bilal play, but I went to watch Victor. And again, I go to the Espoirs game before, and I see like a totally different person. He's confident, um, and he had a big game. We probably had like 20 points, but he was blocking shots. He was running the floor. He made a couple jumpers, made some nice passes. Now in my mind, I'm like, all right, this guy is going to be one of the best international players in 2024. The Ignite, uh, the, the Metropolitans play the Ignite in October. He gets a few minutes here and there, but he kind of looks out of place. A few months later, the Mets are, you know, they just have a bunch of injuries. Now Bilal was forced to play, and then he starts scoring in double figures. And he has a game of 10 points, 12 points. He's knocking down threes. He's running the floor. He's making hustle plays. And then it was like, okay, I think this kid might be a – you know, someone that can get drafted in 2023, the next game, the next game, then it turns into, okay, I think he's a first round pick. And now I think he's in the lottery range. And just because his trajectory 
over the last 18 months has been probably one of the best that I've seen. The only one that is closer is Leonard Miller. But even like Leonard Miller was good enough to get invited to the combine last year. Bilal had never played professionally. And so he is a, a thunder guy, in my opinion. Long upside, but he's he's long, he's versatile, and he's someone that I wouldn't be surprised to see Sam Presti take as high as number 12 just because Sam has job security to swing for the fences. And he's one of the few general managers, I feel, that can really – go for a player he likes at wherever he wants to take them. Well, I think most probably have to kind of go with the consensus or try to trade back. So I know that was a long answer to your question, but he's someone that I think the Thunder, they they may have interest in. No, I love I love the stories and I love watching him play, but I do want to ask you this. with, with Whenever you look at him and, and you know what the Thunder look for, you know how the Thunder treat their players in terms of development, and, and they utilize the G League a lot. To you, you know, seeing how he's a quick learner and like he's a quick adapter to pro basketball, and and how he's improved so quickly over there. What would be his pathway in the NBA? Would it be, hey, you want to put this guy in as many G League spots as you can to get him experience and reps, or would you kind of be willing to kind of throw him into the fire and, and give him some NBA minutes? Honestly, I think. I, I personally feel like the Thunder's rebuild, in a sense, is ahead of schedule. So if they weren't as good this year, then I could see them kind of throwing him in the mix um, for for next season. But I think now the Thunder kind of like all in on winning. So with, with a little bit of development, well, I shouldn't say a little bit. I think they're all in on winning, but at the same time, there's a long game play in mind with, with developing. So I wouldn't be surprised if they were to draft him that you see him going back and forth as far as from the Thunder to the – are they still the Oklahoma City Blue? Yep, you got it. So I'll I, I go way back to when they were the Tulsa 66ers. So in my mind, I still want to call them the 66ers. Um, but, yeah, I could see them making sure that he's getting as much as, or as many reps as possible going back and forth. And um, – but yeah, then again, he might be. I mean, he the trajectory that he's going, he's not supposed to be here anyway. And so he's shooting the ball well. And as long as the shot keeps developing, then I think he should be able to get some NBA minutes next year. He absolutely sounds like a Thunder guy. What sounds like a great option for you is to go to prizepicks.com and open up that prize picks app because it's so fun. Game seven tonight. You know what will make it even more fun to watch this incredible game? Prize picks. Go to prizepicks.com or download the app because it's just you versus the projections. All you got to do is pick two to six players and predict whether they score more or less than those projections, and you can win 25 times your money on any entry. It's simple as that. You can do it for the NBA, MLB, NFL, NHL, PGA, college football, men and women's college basketball, WNBA, soccer, esports, NASCAR, tennis, MMA, boxing, disc golf, Euro basket, cricket, and more. And so you can go tonight and you can say, look, Jason Tatum, Game seven, we score more or less than 21 and a half points. Jimmy Butler, game seven, we score more or less than 21 and a half points. Boom. You make your you make your pick. You sit back, see if you're right while watching an incredible game. You got something on the line here when you download the Price Picks app or go to pricepicks.com. And whenever you do that and you make your account for the first time users, you can use the code locked on and they're going to give you a hundred percent instant deposit match up to a hundred dollars. So if you deposit a hundred, they'll give you a hundred. Deposit 50, they'll give you 50. Don't forget. 
the promo code locked on whenever you sign up for that instant deposit match up to $100. We're back on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you so much for making us your first listen. Going to have a lot of draft profiles this week. And right now we're talking to Rafael Barlow, host of Locked on NBA Big Board. Uh, and I just want to start this next segment with this question. How deep, in your opinion, is this draft? And, and, and how many tiers would you categorize this draft as and i say this in the lens of the thunder have four first round picks next year and of course we know what they have beyond that and they have a, a, a incredible war chest of draft assets and so trading up has been a very popular sentiment around the thunder fan base and, and, and looking for ways to maneuver up this draft board moving up from 12 what's the what's the different tier there that you can get into and, and kind of how deep is this draft overall uh, for the Thunder, speaking about kind of trading back into the later half of the first or or also using those second-round picks? Honestly, I don't know if it really makes a lot of sense for them to trade up because I feel like the top five or, or, or six, and so if you figure Wimbayama, Brandon Miller, Scoot Henderson, the Thompson Twins, and then Cam Whitmore, I say those six are pretty much the, the consensus. And then I think maybe... And I just talked to someone about this earlier today. It was um, a, a talent evaluator. He said basically he feels like from 7 through 12, all of those guys are fluid and interchangeable. So unless there's someone that they really, really want, I don't know if, if I mean, it's worth trading unless you – because you might be able to get that same guy at, at 12. And, I mean, I ask you, like, what do you feel like the Thunder's biggest position of need is considering that you have Chet coming back? If it's like, you know, a, a big, like a more traditional center, then you're not going to find one unless it's <laughs> Wimbayama or, or maybe like a Derek Lively. So I don't know. Like, what do you feel like the Thunder's biggest need is to address? Yeah, so some names that I think that the Thunder could move up for would be Jerry Walker, Taylor Hendricks, and Grady Dick. And th- those are kind of the the mold that you, that you look for. Obviously, Grady Dick doesn't play the same as Hendricks and Walker, but those three guys have been the popular names to look for. What do you view those three guys specifically as? Do you think that any of those guys has a, has a shot to fall to 12? As we know, there's always draft day surprises, and, and you mentioned how interchangeable the draft board is. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think Grady Dick could be available. Uh, I mean, unless Orlando takes him at 11 and they're a team that desperately needs shooting. But if you figure, I mean, somebody's going to fall to the Thunder, whether it's Anthony Black or and I don't know if they if that's like a, a position of need. But I would assume that Indiana's going to take a forward, um, not a guard. Um, I would assume Washington would Washington and Utah would take one of the point guards, which is whether it's Casey Wallace or Anthony Black. I'd assume if Dallas keeps the pick, then they may look for some front court help or shooting. And if that's the case, if it goes the way I think it could go, then then Grady Dick could be available for you. But I, I don't know. Like, I mean, I guess the Thunder do have the assets to move up, you know, a couple spots because I mean they have and they have just a ton of of picks. And so, and I think everybody's probably under the impression that eventually they're going to have to consolidate them. So now if there is someone that they specifically like, and let's say it's it's Jairus Walker, and they feel like they need to get him at at six or seven, then I think they can they can make a move there. 
So I want to use you as like the Jimmy Johnson trade chart for, for one trade that I've been kind of having rattle around my mind uh, since lottery night. The Thunder own the Utah Jazz 2020, 2024 first round pick, top 10 protected. Would you, if you were the Thunder or Jazz, or you know, just for both sides, would you trade Thunder's pick 12 this year, plus give the Jazz their pick back next year to give the Jazz flexibility uh, to, to kind of run their season however they want to next year, and the Thunder get pick nine in return? Is that enough value for, for either side to make that trade? Is the, is the gap between whoever you can get at pick nine versus getting at pick 12, is it wide enough for you to make that trade based upon like sure value? Um, I mean, I'm not a big fan of next year's class as of today. So that, that may help out a little bit. It just depends. Um, yeah, I mean, if I'm, if I'm Utah... I think I would want to keep keep my pick at number nine just because I want to address the need for a point guard. And I and I feel like you'll be able to get at least Anthony Black or Casey Wallace. I mean, just looking at the at the teams ahead of them, Orlando's probably not gonna draft another point guard. Indiana's not gonna draft one. So leave Washington and 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 Utah to get Casey Wallace, Anthony Black, maybe even a, a Nick Smith. I don't think Dallas would draft another guard. So I think the Thunder could I don't, I don't think Walker will fall to 12, but if that's who they really want, I do think they have the assets to get them. But I think you may have to try to move to number six so to, to guarantee that you can get him. It'll be interesting to see kind of how they, they do this on draft night, and, and you've done a really good job of assuring that there will be, will be talent there at 12 uh, for the yeah. Thunder to have. How deep is this class in the sense of like first-round talent? Because we've seen that Sam Presti will leap back in that first round out of thin air if he sees a guy he likes, like last year with Usman Jang. Uh, this year, how deep is does that first round talent pool go for you to where maybe we get to pick like 15, 16, 17, 18, and we get to these picks and Sam Presti goes, well, this guy's still here. I want to go get him back in the first round, kind of materialize a first round pick out of nowhere. How, how long is that runway? Yeah, I, th- I think it's pretty deep. I think 15 through... I think 15 through 21 or 22 is pretty fluid. And then I can say 22 through maybe even 35 is, is pretty fluid. So, um, if, I mean, it does make sense if there's someone that, that he really likes. And then even if there's a guy that, that I, I think the Thunder may have an interest in um, is Gigi Jackson. And he's more so of a long-term, a long-term play, simply because if he stayed in his normal class, like he's really supposed to just be graduating high school right now, he reclassified up. And I think that if he would have stayed in his class, he'd be the number one pick in 2024, at least a top five pick in 2024. I mean, we're talking about a guy that started the season off at 17 years old. He's still only 18 now, and he doesn't turn 19 until the end of December. And he barely made the, the requirements to be eligible for this draft by like 14 days. So if Sam feels like, hey, I'll trade back in this draft and I basically can get Gigi Jackson at in the 20s, it's like me getting the number one pick in 2024. I think that's a wise decision. A little, little bit of nugget here. Um, I was at Gigi's Pro Day and Chris Paul was there. And Chris Paul um, sat courtside and he went over to Sam Presti and I heard a little bit of the conversation and he was talking about Gigi because Gigi played on 
Chris Paul's CP3 EYBL team. And I heard a little bit of the conversation. He had very good things to say about Gigi. So I think Chris is even trying to push Sam into uh, taking a chance on Gigi. That's a great nugget, especially because we know how much that Sam, you know, admires or, or, or I should say respects Chris Paul and the relationship that they have is very strong. So that means a lot, obviously, to have the, the, uh, the support from Chris Paul and Gigi and everything else. So, so with Gigi specifically, what do, you, what do you think would be the best route to go with him? Same kind of question that we asked earlier with Gigi. How, how do you handle that developmental aspect of his, of his career and also getting him experience? Like, do you, do you put him with the G league that, that the thunder obviously trust and, and have shuffled through a ton of guys from that G league last year, for example, I mean, the G league got Jalen Williams out of Arkansas ready to go and be a playoff rotational player and starter uh, due to injury later on. Uh, you also saw Usman Jang down there where he looked really improved. Like, so what do you, what do you view for Gigi would be the, the case for him in OKC if he was to land here? Yeah, I mean, I think if, if you're the Thunder, you select him, you can use it as a full developmental year. And again, next year is supposed to be his freshman year in college. So you get him in a full developmental year with the with the <laughs> the blue. I was about to say the 66ers. And one of the best things about the Thunder's G League program is the proximity. And they're really connected. When I worked in the G League, and this was about 10 years ago, I always admired the Thunder, just the way they did things. I mean, even from like they had like food catered in after the games, like they really did emphasize development and, and there's been some success there. Or there's other teams and, and like Miami has a great situation, but, you know, you, their G League team is in Sioux Falls. Like there's not the same proximity as far as just being able to shuffle players back and forth. And so in my opinion, and I know Gigi pretty well, um, I would be in favor of the Thunder selecting him, whether it's at 12 or even at, you know, trading back up just because I think they have the structure in place and they have enough. They have plenty of young talent, but it seems like the Thunder have done a really good job of selecting guys with character. And it's and it's as just like making sure that everyone is getting better and improving. And so I, I think that would be great for the Thunder. But yeah, to answer your question, I know there's a long answer. I I, I say you, you draft him, and again, you just let him stay and with, with the blue, have him go back and forth, and just use it as basically his freshman year. And I think he's going to be really, really good long term. I think he's a top ten, top ten player when it's all said and done in a redraft in five six years. Yeah, I, I love the idea of using this as a redshirt year for him, and and, and kind of letting him reset and, and get adjusted. And I love that you highlighted the thunder and the blues relationship. Obviously they play in the same arena now, which is even better for proximity and, and for getting guys up and down, even though they used to play across the street. And they also, they run the exact same style of offense and defensive schemes down there that they do with the thunder. And even down, as you mentioned to the, the post-game meal is the exact same bag, the exact same restaurant, the exact same meal that the Thunder players get, the Blue players get. And so, like, they just – they run everything the exact same. And that's why I think you've been able to see guys like Jay Will last year kind of 
transmit those lessons from the G League to the NBA so quickly and seamlessly getting back up to the NBA life. And they even call guys up just to sit on the bench and be connected with the team after uh, the, these kind of G League doubleheaders that you're familiar with where you play at noon and then the NBA team plays at seven. Even if you played in that noon game, you'll still get called up and kind of be around the team and sometimes even play in that second game uh, because Mark loves to run those rotations 10 to 12 deep. And and you mentioned uh, the, the kind of focus on development and winning in that balance. I think that we're going to see Mark continue to play a 10 or, or 12 man rotation next year as, as the Thunder still look to try to approve upon their 40 win season. So with Gigi Jackson, do you think that he's advanced enough to where, Hey, if we're going to give 10 to 12 guys a shot each game, he can see his name get called a few times, you know, a week, so to say in the NBA. Yeah. There's, there's not a doubt in my mind. I mean, talent is not, is not an issue. I just think that, it was just such a huge adjustment going from a junior in high school to the SEC. Not only did he go to the SEC, he was the focal point of a bad team. So I think there's some some bad habits that probably need to be polished up. And, um, I mean, he's definitely need, need to get stronger. But I'm a big fan of the Thunder Development program. And I have a, a funny story. I, I won't mention the guy's name, but is a friend of mine. And... He said that his best friend is Serge Ibaka. And he mentioned to me that they grew up together in the Congo. They, uh, I think they got drafted a year or so apart. But he mentioned to me that when he entered the NBA, he went to a, a team that was, I guess, rebuilding. He said they didn't have any veterans and they didn't have any structure. And he said that he was just kind of on his own. He didn't know how to be a professional. There's nobody that was in his ear saying, hey, this is how you do things, yada, yada, yada. And, and he said he was young and immature. And when he felt like he wasn't playing, he didn't handle it right. He got to the arena just in time. Just, I mean, just did the bare minimum. And he said that Serge came in as a rookie and he was on the team with Durant and Westbrook and Harden and just the structure that OKC had. And he mentioned that you can't help but succeed when the best players on the team are in the gym early, uh, getting shots up. He was just like the maturity level that Durant and Westbrook and those guys had made everyone else step their game up. But then he just talked about the structure that the Thunder had. Again, at the time they had like, I mean, really, we didn't know it at the time, but three MVPs all in their early 20s, and they all bought in, played together, got along. And so my friend told me if he had that same structure as Serge, he said he probably would have been 100, he probably would have made $150 million in his career. And then he talks about how much money Serge has played, and he just credits a lot of Serge's success to the Thunder and the structure that they had around him. He, he says... Again, Serge was a kid from the Congo who spent a little bit of time in Spain who has this huge adjustment. And I'm sure you probably remember the, the, the blurry Serge Ibaka draft tape that looked yep. like it was. But just the, the player that he developed into, my friend says it was all due to the Thunder's developmental program. And he said he blames himself for his immaturity, but he also said that if he had that structure, he probably would have been a 10-year NBA player and so on, but he ended up ruining his name so early in his career for immaturity. So I said I have to say this. 
ever since he told me this, probably like eight, nine years ago, I've been a huge fan of everything that the Thunder have done as far as like their development on top of seeing it when I worked in the G League. So if I'm Gigi's camp, I'm like, hey, we want to go to Oklahoma City. We, we, we want to go because not only did the Thunder develop, but at the same time, you are in, I mean, you're not in a hotbed where there's just a whole lot of stuff to do. And I mean, you can get in trouble anywhere. I mean, I mean, there's, I live in Dallas and there were guys that played for the Thunder that I, I hear were making that short drive down I-35 to, right. to party all the time. But those guys got weeded out fast. But the guys that are really into like developing and getting better, and if you're with Oklahoma City, you are going to be able to maximize your your, your gifts and your talents. So that's another long-winded story and answer. No, those those are great. Keep them coming, and we're going to keep them coming after this. Now we talk about the second round and some sleepers in this draft. We're back on Lockdown Thunder Podcast, on Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you so much for making us your first listen every single morning. Every single day, we're here for you, talking Thunder basketball. Subscribe for free across all podcasting platforms, including the Locked in NBA Big Board, where our host, Raphael Barlow, joins us today and hosts Locked in NBA Big Board today and every day on Lockdown Podcast Network. Raphael, I want to talk about some sleepers, and one that I love particularly is Kobe Brown. Like, What do you view his game as? Kind of what range do you have him in? And I think that he fits perfectly in Oklahoma City. Kobe Brown is interesting. Um, I'll start, I don't want to start off with the negatives. I'll start with the concerns and why he might fall to the Thunder in the second round. And one is because he's 23 years old, which, you know, in this day that we live in as a draft prospect, that's considered old. But at the same time, college basketball is getting older. Like, I want to say Drake had like 24, 25, he played the NCAA tournament. And so for Brown at 23 years old, I think that puts him in position to fall to the Thunder in the second round. But I also feel like at 23, you're getting a guy that, I mean, of course, there's going to be an adjustment to the NBA, but the developmental curve isn't as long. And I think that he is ready to come in and contribute. What's interesting about him is I know people are going to think I'm crazy, right? There was one game I saw, and he looked like a young Jamal Mashburn. Like... The, I mean, the size, he's like 6'8", he's 250. At, at one point, if they put like a, a bigger guy on him, he beat the guy off the dribble. If they put a small on him, he was able to just kind of get where he wanted to go. He shot 40% from three, I believe, this year. Actually, 45% from three. He rebounds. But I think like the skill set that he has that is kind of underrated is that he's a really good passer. And just kind of doing some research on his background, I found out that he played like point guard in high school. I guess they said, I think someone told me that his dad was his coach and he, he was a point guard. And so he has been able to keep some of the same point guard skills. And so, you know, if Jalen Williams like was, was a steal, right? The value that the Thunder got from Jalen Williams was, I mean, you can make a case to say it was top 15 value in a redraft. It wouldn't surprise me if Brown is available and you can get the same type of value out of him because at the very minimum, he can play a role as a floor spacer and ball mover. But if he puts it all together, I think he's going to be really good. So who are some names for you? That, that's one for me that I just look at. And I'm like, 
this guy should not be mocked and, and, and looked upon as lowly as he is on most, you know, kind of consensus big boards. Who's a guy like that for you like that you could see becoming an incredible value because he's just being overlooked right now? You know, this draft is is it's, it's crazy. One name that I'm kind of on the fence on, but I think the Thunder would also be a good fit. And I mean, now I sound like a Thunder homer here because I'm just raving about the developmental program. It's Coleman Hawkins. Coleman Hawkins has a very interesting skill set. Now, what's is that the shot looks good. If you just go by form and mechanics, you would think that he's one of the top 10 shooters in this class. The problem is it just does not go in. Only shot 28% from three, 61% from the foul line. But this year he averaged like 10 points, six rebounds, averaged a block a game, a steal per game, and is a very good passer. And he's a legit 6'9", 6'10". And if he can put it all together and if I'm not mistaken, you guys got Chip England, right? That's correct. And Josh Giddy has improved as a shooter. That's correct. <laughs> then Coleman Hawkins is someone that I would take a flyer on. Just because if you watch this film again, like I said, the mechanics looks good. The shot looks good. He has the, the size to, to play. The size and athleticism and the movement to be able to play the three and the four, the passing and, and the defensive upside. But if he gets the shot together then I think he could be a top seven or eight rotation guy in the NBA. So I've, I've got two players to ask you about that. I'm just forced to ask you. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lead the witness. I'm not going to say what I think of them. Zach Eady and Drew Timmy. Can you just give me your synopsis on those guys? Yeah. I mean, I, I think Edie is intriguing, especially as like a, I mean, it's probably not the best term, like a pinch hitter in basketball in a sense, a guy that you throw in, in in different lineups, maybe it's 10 minutes a game here and there, that is going to be effective. And he is someone that could punish teams when they try to go small. And, I mean, I, I could see how you have interest and, and you probably have this vision of Edie and Chet on the floor together. And you got like this massive interior presence. And then you have Chet as, you know, your floor spacer, your, your weak side, long defender and, and passer. So I, I get where you're going. I see the vision there. The problem is I think Edie ends up going back to school. I think that where he's projected to go, he could probably make more money on in NIL than he would. But if he decides that, hey, I want to be a pro, I think I can make the money more long-term as opposed to short-term because I think whatever concerns teams have about Zach Eady, they're going to be there next year. He's not going to improve much. And even if he does, it just doesn't make sense for Purdue to say, well, hey, Zach, we're going to let you shoot threes this year so you can help your draft stock. They're going to be like, look, you dominated college basketball last year. We need you to do the same thing next year. But the money would be good. So it, it, it just depends on what, what he values. Does he want to get better in the NBA or does he want to go in college and make a, a lot more money? Which sounds crazy that we're talking about guys like basically taking pay cuts <laughs> to stay in school oh, right. as opposed to the NBA. And then as far as Drew, again, I'm, I'm biased, man. I, I live in Dallas. I've known Drew for a while. My brother actually coached him when he was in like eighth grade for a summer I see Drew all the time working out. Drew is someone that I think like in, in workouts, he's probably not going to really stand out in workouts. 
he's going to interview well. You're going to be impressed with him, but you just have to put Drew on the floor with nine other guys, put some butts in the seats, turn the lights on, and you're going to you're going to get production out of out of Drew. Um, it, it's going to be interesting for him. I think he has another year eligibility if he wanted to use it because of the whole COVID year. But he said that he's he's done and that he's going to pursue a professional career. Um, Drew's just in a weird spot. He, he's a guy that I could see if he goes to the G League, then he's putting up 20 and nine a game in the G League. And then you just wonder how does it how does it translate? So I, I like Drew. And if you know if he ends up in OKC, I think I think that'd be a win for him because it's only a three hour drive for his parents to come watch him play. So but I, I like Drew a lot. Yeah, I think that with Zach Eady, I, I would look at him as like, you mentioned the pinch hitter as like a Boban type and not in like the funny John Wick way, but like Rick Harlow utilized Boban to really throw off the Clippers in a playoff series for just a quick little, a quick hitter to kind of throw a different wrinkle out there. And like, that's kind of what I see Eady being as his NBA career, whenever it happens, either this year or next year goes, where he's like a valuable piece to, to throw a little elbow at you, like a little wrinkle at you, that you got to adjust to. But overall, you're not going to play him, you know, 20, 30 minutes a night. That's not going to kind of be his role uh, at all. And then I love your, I love your Drew Timmy uh, kind of synopsis of him being somebody who can really dominate in the G League. But then you get him at the NBA level, and it's just like, well, how how can you translate all this? It's a guy like uh, to me, Jay Huff. Not that they play the same, but just like whenever I was watching Jay Huff at the G League games this year. Jay Huff looked incredible. And like he was just yeah. dominating the Thunder. And it helped that the Thunder didn't have anyone uh, of his size. You know, the blue didn't have anyone of his size. He was dominating the blue uh, from beyond the arc, for, at the rim, everywhere. But then he goes to the NBA and you're just like, oh, okay, so he's a nice, he's a nice player that doesn't really have like a NBA type of, of feel to his game. So I think he is in that weird spot, but he can make a heck of a career playing in the G League and, and, and really kind of trying to see his his game translate to the NBA eventually. And now with the three two-way slots, I think that that helps him a lot too. Yeah, I, I, I do. I just wonder, like, did the league go with the three two-way spots to try to maybe convince guys to stay in the draft? Because, I mean, I, I know a few situations right now with players that teams have told them, hey, if you stay in, we'll give you a two-way. But the guys like listening to what the team is saying. And then his college is like, hey, we just got a new collective where, you know, we have X amount of dollars. If you stay, you'll be featured. But something I wanted to add about Zach Eady that, that just crossed my mind is that if the Thunder are planning to compete in the West for years to come, it does make sense to have a guy like Eady on your roster to throw at Nikola Jokic for a few minutes a game someone that has the size that can get rebounds. Cause I mean, you just look at like the Lakers, for example, they didn't have anyone his size as great as Anthony Davis is. Jokic was too big for him. Jokic took two dribbles with, with no bigs from the help. And he was able to get Davis right where he wanted to under the basket. And so it's almost like when the Thunder made the trade for Kendrick Perkins, like, you needed a body to throw at Gasol and Bynum. And I do think long-term, if you're the Thunder, and if you are going to, if you see Denver as the team that you're going to have to compete with in the West, I think it does make sense to have a 300-pound guy to, to bang with Jokic and throw at him 
whether it's for a few minutes a game to wear him out. And then Jokic would have to play defense on the other end. I mean, if Zach Eady is running down the middle of the lane and he seals, you got to get him the ball. So I, I like that. I like how you're thinking there. You know, I, I love the way that you described that. I think that that was the perfect way to kind of put this, this together because with Zach Eady, and when you talk about defending Jokic, I think that Thunder fans, we get kind of defensive of like, well, well, it's not that Chet can't do it. Like, like people kind of talk about it in a, in a wrong way. Like Chet, whenever you say, you know, they need someone to help defend Jokic, it's not saying that, oh, Chet's too small. He's too skinny. The kind of like the kind of standard jabs that people throw at Chet. It's more so saying even if Chet is as good as Anthony Davis, he's going to struggle to guard Jokic, just like everyone does. So that's not saying that you need Zach Eady to help you defend Jokic. It's not a slight on Chet Holmgren because Anthony Davis needed help to guard Jokic. So I think I love the way that you kind of uh, model that into the AD conversation as well, because I think that we would all sign on the dotted line today if Chet became Anthony Davis. And, and even so, if he does, uh, he would still need that kind of uh, help down low on Jokic and a different look down low on Jokic. And, I, and the, the Kendrick Perkins comparison, I think that that Mark is a coach that can perfectly utilize uh, and switch back and forth. Like that was the big thing with, with the Perk teams. They left Perk out there too long. They, they didn't have the right lineups on the court to maximize their offense and also uh, get what Perk brings on the defensive end. I think that Mark would play that chess game a lot better than Scott Brooks did. So even that aspect uh, is improved as well. So when we look at this draft, I, I, I would wonder where you have Edie at 37 or would you wait to 50 to draft him at 50? It, it depends. Um, if, if they feel like, and again, I think Sam Presti has the luxury and the job security to where if I like Zach Eady at 37, I'll take him at 37. Well, I think other GMs are like, well, no, we'll just wait until, you know, the 50s or we'll try to get on a two-way or maybe we'll trade back. So, um I mean, I think at 37, I probably would, would take Kobe Brown at 37. But um, at 50, I, I think Zach Eady could be available. I love the way you're or thinking you can, with Kobe or Brown. Or you can, like, you know, do the whole Austin Reeves thing where, you know, you tell Eady, hey, I need you to tell all these teams that you're not accepting a two-way, you want a guaranteed contract, and then we go ahead and sign you to a two-way <laughs> right after two minutes after the draft is over. So I think they can be strategic there. I love the option of Kobe Brown at 37. And the last thing I want to say is just on your insight of talking to people, I always find that part of the draft so fascinating of like, you could get a call and a prospect would be like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to take you at pick 45. And the prospect's like, nah, I don't want to be drafted. Like how often does that happen where a prospect just would rather not be drafted and pick their own spot? It's tough. I mean, I think the Austin Reeves situation made it more possible, but and I, you know, I'm friends with Austin's agents, and I remember just kind of asking, like, about the whole situation. They're like, number one, the hardest part is trying to tell a kid and his parents, it makes more sense for you to not get drafted, and you're going to miss out on the opportunity to hear your name called and go shake the commissioner's hand. You won't get that opportunity. And that's, that's a tough sell. But I, I do think that you're going to see a lot more of it, especially if teams are going to only give guys two ways after, let's say, pick 40, then it just makes sense for the the agents to say, we don't want a two-way, yada, 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 and then they can go pick the best situation for them. So it's it's tough because at the end of the day, the average 
18, a 19 year old, a 20 year old is going to want to hear their name at the draft. And so I think some would just rather, that's the probably not saying it's more important than early playing time, but again, it's just a tough sell to say, you're not going to hear your name called. <laughs> Trust us to find the best situation for you. That's hard to sell. It is, it is hard to sell. I, I think that everyone dreams of like hearing their name called on draft day. And so we'll see how that all unfolds this year. This is going to be like one of the first uh, case studies of that with the three, two way deals and, and everything else that goes on. Raphael, thank you so much for joining us. Where can they find your stuff? What are you working on? And of course, locked in NBA big board. Yeah, I mean, I have a newsletter, nbabigboard.com. I took over for chat for a little more than a year ago. And uh, we're up to about six thousand six thousand um free subscribers and uh it's just uh you know my draft intel some of the intel is coming from players agents um some front office guys so it's it's, it's a lot of intel based but then it's like my own personal opinions on drafts with big boards and this year i'm doing like some some features on players um allowing them to kind of tell their own story. Like, for example, I just posted an article on Keontae George, who a lot of people think would be a fit for the Thunder at 12, and how even though Keontae was Big 12 freshman of the year and had an up-and-down season, this interview allowed him to put into context of how much he struggled with, with the ankle injury, how he played throughout the year, and how although he played, it's very natural for the human eye to see, oh, well, he's not doing this, he's not doing that. So it allowed him to kind of put the season into context in his own words and how how much the ankle injury bothered him and then um, he had a great pro day last week I was there and you saw like what he looks like when he's healthy and, and explosive and, and so on so that's an, a, another unique wrinkle that I'm that I'm looking to add this year is just allow the players to just kind of put things in context about some of the same doubts and concerns that is all over social media where they can say well this is the reason why, so on. So that's all on NBA, on the NBA Big Board newsletter. And then I have the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast. I'm sure your listeners know. If you're on the Locked On Network, it's five episodes a day. So it's five episodes of draft coverage. And so, I mean, I'm putting out at least eight different draft content a week. So I'm pretty easy to find in that regard. Easy to find, including on Twitter at Barlow500. Raphael, I cannot wait to read all of your draft content and get the little intel of OKC. Uh, thank you again for joining us. And until tomorrow, folks, be good and be good to one another.